You're listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast, recorded from the Everstwar Chapel Fine Arts Center in Mishawaka, Indiana. Thanks for listening. She was a college student. She got a phone call through a friend of a friend to go and house sit. Sounded pretty simple. It was near downtown Boston. So she showed up at this house on a Friday night. Older couple, no kids in the house at that time, but they had an old dog, German Shepherd. So her job was to watch the house when they're gone, take care of the dog. Now here's what they said to her. They go, when we're gone, we're going to be gone for three days. This dog is old. Now, if this dog goes to doggy heaven when we're gone, what you need to do is this. And they gave her instructions. You need to call this vet. You need to get the dog over there. And they said, probably be okay, but just in case. One of those things, you know. Well, you know where this is going, right? They leave. She's there with the dog. Sure enough, the old dog dies. Now, how many dog people we got in here? Okay, that's good. How many cat people? Oof. Cats are pretty much possessed by the devil, I think. (laughs) Just going to say it. There's no reason that a cat should just be laying, taking a nap, and then get up and run across the room and lay down for no reason. That's what cats do. They're weird. But this dog was dead. And so she called the vet, and the vet said, hey, you know, come bring the dog, and we'll get it over, and we'll take care of it. So she hung up the phone, and then she realized, I have no car. She took public transportation to get there. You know, it was in a big city downtown. She's like, not just going to throw this dog over my shoulder, you know, walk down the road. So she's thinking, well, what do I do? So she decides to put this dog into her suitcase, big suitcase. So she like folds up this dog, you know, this is really a dark story, isn't it, to start with? So she puts this dog in the suitcase, and then she zips it up. She, like, you know, tucks it down in there, probably got it caught in the fur, the zipper a few times, gets the dog in there. And then she, like, pulls up the handle, and then she just is like, well, I got to jump on the subway to get to the vet. So she figures out her route. She's, the door opens for the subway, and she's struggling to get this heavy suitcase on there because it's this huge German Shepherd in there. This is a true story, by the way. And a chivalrous man comes along and says, well, let me help you with that heavy suitcase. And so he kind of helps her lug it across the threshold of the subway. And that's, he starts striking up a conversation about what's in the suitcase. He's like, wow, that is really heavy. There's got to be more than clothes in there. What do you got in the suitcase? Now, what do you say? <laughs> she was not prepared for this question. And she was like, uh, well, uh, you know, and she just didn't know what to say. And so out of her mouth came this answer. Well, it's heavy because I got a bunch of electronics in there and just like gear, you know. And so the guy's like, oh, okay. So they go on, they get to a certain stop, the door opens, and this seemingly chivalrous man, when the door opens, grabs the suitcase before she can get it, and the door's closed, and he's out of there, thinking that he scored. (laughs) Now, I want you to imagine, at some point, maybe when he got home, I would love to be a fly on the wall in that moment where he, like, zipped open the suitcase, and I just imagine the head was probably on top, it was like, ha, you know, (laughs) 
the moral of the story is when things maybe look bad, like a dead dog dilemma, what do you do with the carcass? It actually might be really good because she got rid of the problem, right? And I think... <laughs> I think when it comes to faith, sometimes especially people on the outer skirts of faith or new to faith, or some of you here that maybe have a, what I would say crossed the line of faith and made a specific decision to follow Jesus... When life gets tough, you get tested, and when things kind of are going wrong or bad, and you may look at things and you go, well, what do I do? Or what does this mean? Or why would God allow this to happen? And that, that is something that every single human being faces and has to deal with, this question of why. And last night, where, where we started was we started talking about the story of Joseph. And what I shared last night was the fact that I really, like, once I got here, kind of changed direction. I just was praying yesterday and asked, God, where do we need to go this week? And he started leading me towards this story, and actually we're exploring it back at our church, and I thought, well, I'm doing that back home. I don't want to do that here, but I'm in the middle of this story, and I felt like when I was in your seat, I was, I was at a place where I was these dreams and visions, and God was just opening my heart, and I felt like my heart was bursting with all the ideas of a future life that was ahead of me. And I really believe that this story of Joseph is meant for us to follow this week. Now, when, I, when Sean and I were talking about being here, um, I, my wife and I talked, and today is my wife's birthday. Now, legally, and morally, I can't tell you what number it is because I'm a good husband. <laughs> Guys, pay attention here, okay? But I thought I would just have you wish her a happy birthday. Is that okay? Yeah. I thought that'd be really cool. So her name is, her name, I haven't recorded yet. Her name is Ariana, okay? Uh, it's hard to say, so say it with me. I'll say it first, you say it. Ariana. Ariana. Okay, you got it. All right, so I'll count to three and just say happy birthday, Ariana, and then cheer, and I'll kind of sweep across the thing, all right? And I'll, be, I'll get brownie points, okay? Does that sound good? Okay, everybody got it? Happy birthday, Ariana, and then cheer. You got it? Okay. I'm not even going to try to practice. I know you're going to knock it out of the park the first time, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, now I'm ready. All right, here we go. One, two, three. Happy birthday, Ariana! Happy birthday. Hey, you guys did great. Thank you. Awesome. All right, we got that out of the way. That's good. So we're introduced to this young man named Joseph. He's 17 years old, and in the beginning of scripture here, the first book, we're kind of introduced to this, this young man, and uh, yeah, Genesis 39 is where we're going to look at today. So up to this point, Joseph is the favored son, just quickly recap, uh, he's got a Jerry Springer kind of family thing going on, if you know what that means, he's got multiple wives with multiple kids with each wife, but he's got a favorite wife named Rachel, she's the the scripture calls her, this is in my words, calls her like the good-looking one, according to Jacob, the husband. He loves Rachel, but Rachel couldn't have kids for on. Finally, she does. She has a son named Joseph. So Jacob openly 
favors Joseph over the rest of his 11 brothers. And so he gives them this special coat, this nice Gucci coat that he wears, and his brothers are jealous of him. And so Joseph is sent out to find his brothers one day, and his brothers turn on Joseph. They strip the coat off of him. They lie to their dad and say he was killed by a ferocious animal. They take his coat and dip it in some blood, and they sell him as a slave. And Joseph ends up going to Egypt. So that's kind of where we are at this point. So in Genesis 39, right at the beginning, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him from there. So he's kind of giving us the story of how he's gotten to where he is. Notice right away here, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when the master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. We're going to stop right there. We're going to continue the story tonight because it takes a kind of a crazy twist there. But here we find that Joseph is sold as a slave. Joseph is there where all of a sudden the world just kind of seems against him. But it, it's referenced several times there. And again, this isn't Joseph's story. This is God's story. And because Joseph was favored by God, God was with him. Now, when I say that, you may think, well, I hope I'm favored by God. And the, the answer is, yes, you are. Joseph here was sold into slavery, and he was taken away from his family. He was ripped apart from his mother and father and the cushy life that he had, and he's no longer the favorite son who has the comfortable life. Now he's a slave. Now he's told what to do. He's put in a foreign land. He's sold for 20 shekels of silver by his own brothers, a cheap price. He's a slave. He's worth nothing. He's nobody. He went from everything to nothing. And certainly he thought that he would never see his family again. He had these dreams that were given to him that he shared with his brothers when he lived with them, and they didn't want to hear it. And that was one of the things that actually made them turn against him. But we see that God was with Joseph. Now that's significant because I think one of the things that we tend to forget so quickly, and maybe you're here right now and you say, I really don't sense God's presence with me. Some of you maybe are looking like, especially at a spiritual lens this week, or in some kind of setting like this that's kind of a traditional place where you feel the emotion. Some of you don't feel the emotion. You go, I've never really felt that tingle or that emotional high that people talk about. And it's dangerous sometimes when we allow our faith to rely on our emotions. Our emotions can be a great thing. But they're not the foundation of your faith. Because if you build any relationship on the foundation of emotion, it will not last. So if you're building a, a relationship with someone here in your life, that special someone, and it's based on just when you feel like it, it's not going to last for long, or it's not going to be a very healthy relationship. 
You know this. But with our faith, sometimes we do that. And so if you're that type of person that doesn't have that emotional thing kick in, I just want to remind you that God is with you. Some of you are going through something really difficult right now. And you've questioned, is God with me? You know, God is with you. And if you're struggling in your faith, if you're saying, I don't see it, I don't understand it, I just want to remind you this morning that God is with you. Because what we talked about last night is when God gives you a dream, a dream can make you different. And God has something for you. You are an original. We talked about what that means last night. That in the world, something pops up that's an original, and everyone else tries to copy it. And I gave you an example last night. And, and being a, a lover of basketball, is the bas- any basketball players here? No? Okay, good, good, good. It's my favorite sport. I love it. From Indiana. Steph Curry. Some of you know who he is, some of you don't. He's the greatest shooter of all time, and I say that with, with a little bit of tinge in my heart because I'm a Reggie Miller fan. You don't even know who that is, but he was amazing. Played for the Indiana Pacers great shooter, but Steph Curry is the best shooter of all time. Steph Curry changed the NBA. Steph Curry came along the Golden State Warriors, and they're just shooting threes, and they're just shooting the lights out, and it changed the entire scope of the NBA, and everybody now is trying to be like the Golden State Warriors, and it's another example of something that's original, and then you got a bunch of copycats, and listen, don't be a copycat in your faith. Be original. Follow Jesus, and let that dream that he has for you chase you around. You don't have to chase your dreams. Your dreams will chase you if you follow Jesus. Your role is to follow Jesus. We talked about, like, the world will accept you if you're the same. Some of you are just feel so pressure and so afraid, and you'd never admit it, but you don't want to stand out, and you don't want to be original because it's difficult to do, but the world will accept you if you're the same. They'll reject you if you're different, but they will respect you if you don't care. And that's where I want to be, and I hope that's where you want to be. I don't want to be like everybody else. Because, you know, when everyone sees you like everybody else, it's like, yeah, they're one of us. They're right here. But then as soon as you step out to follow Jesus in a radical way, in a sold-out, all-in way, you'll find, you'll find that often you'll be rejected, even by those closest to you. But you know what? If you continue to live that out, they'll respect you if you don't care what people think and you're sold out to Jesus. You may think, everything's against me. The very essence of our faith, the father of our faith, in in some ways here in this story, stems from Jacob. Jacob was renamed Israel. In Israel, the father of Joseph the nation that still exists today from this man's lineage. His name means to struggle. He, was, he wrestled with God. That's who we are. It's part of our faith. We don't have to fake it and say, everything's great all the time. Some of you heard a little bit, but, you know, 12 years ago, I stepped out in faith to follow Jesus in, a, in the most radical way that I ever had at that time. And I quit my job. I had three, three small children at home. And still with the, you know, the intention and the commitment to provide for, for them and for Ariana. But felt very clear about a step of faith that I was supposed to take. So I quit my job, started this national ministry to students. And we've been able to minister to hundreds of thousands of students in the last 12 years. But it's not been easy. In fact, I was coming back from a trip with one of my daughters. 
and we flew into the airport. This is June 11th of 2015. We're getting ready to start our summer season of our camp events, which I've told you a little bit about. So we get home from the airport, and our team was packing up our, um, the moving truck that we used to pack all of our gear to go to these camps. And so we stopped by there, say hey to the team real quick. And our, our, our initial crew was leaving the next morning. So I go home. It was, it was an overseas flight, so it's pretty, pretty worn out. I got a phone call at 5 in the morning. And, you know, I answered it. I was very tired. And I didn't know if I heard the, the caller right because he said, I'm a detective for the Grand Rapids Police. You need to come down to your office right away. Now, when you get a call like that, you know, you want to you wanna do that. So I kind of got myself ready real quick, called a couple of our staff on the way, drove up to the office. I saw TV cameras, I saw police cars, and I saw fire trucks. Those are things that you do not want to see. So I walk up and realize that our entire headquarters office was on fire. We would built this from nothing. We bootstrapped this whole ministry. And at that point, we were about six years into this journey, and... I just couldn't believe it. Smoke was rolling out of the building. And I thought about all the things I had in my own personal office, a lot of my dad's things. He was no longer alive. I thought about all the ministry equipment, all the, the multimedia, all the games, all the print materials, all of it was in there. And I thought to myself, how in the world, God, could you allow this to happen? And it was at that moment that I thought to myself, why? And some of you might be in a place in your life where something very, very challenging is taking place in your life, and maybe no one even knows it. It could be something back home. It could be a situation you're facing with your family or your parents. It could be your financial situation. I know a lot of, a lot of people in this particular stage of your life, you're stressing about how you're going to pay for this education that you're getting, and you're thinking, okay, God, how can this happen? How do I get through this? Maybe you got some financial news that wasn't the greatest. Maybe it's a relationship issue. Maybe you were really chasing after something and the door just slammed in your face. Whatever it might be, if you're facing a challenge, I just want you to know and I want to remind you that God is with you. God is favor for you. That he created you in his image. And you know, if you look around close enough, just like Joseph, who thought maybe the world was just caving in on him, if you look around, you will see glimpses somewhere of God's goodness, even in the darkness. Because at this moment, when I showed up to our office and just was speechless about what I was seeing, I realized something that I didn't know. I found out just within a, a few hours of, of learning about that, that as I was traveling, my assistant, her name is Robin, for some reason one day she came in the office, she goes, you know, we haven't upped our insurance in a while, and we've really been acquiring more and more equipment, and our, our, our ministry was growing, so we're getting more spaces, and we had more stuff. She was like, I need to do an inventory, and she felt an urgency about it, and so she went and did an inventory with our staff while I was gone, and upped our insurance the week before this fire. I didn't know that. All I saw was the fire. I went to, to one of my, my guys who was in charge of our production and loading everything, and I said, man, like, 
what are we going to do for camp? Camp was in three days, and all of our stuff had just burned up. And he said, well, and if you know Jason on our team, Jason is a creature of habit. Like, he's done this for years, and he always loads on Thursday. And he said, well, this year I loaded on Wednesday. I don't even know why. I just felt like we should do it a day earlier. So everything we needed for camp was sitting in that truck 10 feet away from when that fire happened protected for the ministry that we were going to start for the summer in three days it's a miracle you can't explain things like that now all these things are adding up and i'm thinking boy that looks really suspicious to the police you know hey we upped our insurance and we just happened to load ourselves a day early we never discovered who did that people have asked like who would do something like that we don't know and you know what oddly enough we never really fixated on that we just knew that God was with us. I remember standing on stage at our very first event and sm smelling my arm, and I could still smell the smoke on my arm, a memory of the faithfulness of God. God is with you. God is for you. God will never leave you. Jesus himself said, never will I leave you or forsake you. So if you're here and you're doubting the goodness and the presence of God, let me remind you that no matter what you feel, no matter what you're going through, God's favor is with you, and his presence is with you. God is for you. He's not against you. He's not trying to punish you. He's not trying to condemn you. God is leading you. Joseph could have easily said, you know what? God's not with me. I'm a slave. My life's not going up and to the right. My dreams that you gave me aren't becoming a reality. But God was with him. And then you'll notice that God gave Joseph favor. You see that here with Potiphar. Potiphar was his boss, and it says that whatever Joseph did, it turned out good, right? So God is giving his favor to this young man, who at this point is probably still 17, maybe 18 years old. He's still so young, and whatever he's doing is just making Potiphar's life easy. Now, one of the things that, that I notice about this story is that Joseph didn't spend time feeling sorry for himself he didn't say well forget it you know i had this dream and i thought god was with me and i thought god's favor was in our family but i'm just walking away joseph continued to work hard you know if you face a situation that's not what you expect it's not what you think you deserve if you get put in a situation where just life doesn't seem fair to you, I want to remind you that that's an obstacle to overcome, that God can give you the favor even in some of the toughest times of your life. And I feel like I'm saying this to someone here who's just been thinking, this is not what I planned. I wanted to have this job, and I didn't get it. I wanted to be a starter, and I didn't get it. I wanted to have this relationship, and I didn't get it. I wanted to move in this direction, but I didn't get it. And I think God is saying through his word to you at this moment that his favor is still with you. And if you will continue to be faithful, God will show you the way forward. God will help you to know that instead of feeling sorry for yourself, instead of saying, well, yep, it didn't work out and God's really not on my side, so I'm just going to kind of lay down and not do anything. But we don't see Joseph doing that. We see the favor of God upon him, even as a slave in this situation that was so unfair. 
And, and I realize, you know, I'll be talking about it more this week, but I took this crazy walk from Indiana to Kansas, not far from here is where I started two years ago. And I walked across a big section of the country. And I did this because I wanted to understand what was happening at that time in our country, in my own life. And what I realized and recognized is some of you here, life has been unfair. Some of you because of where you've come from. Some of you because of your skin color or your accent or your background. And life has been unfair for you. And you shouldn't pretend to ignore that. You shouldn't pretend to just say, well, that doesn't exist and it doesn't matter. It matters. But God's favor can still be upon you. Sometimes we equate God's favor with how we're treated by others, and that's the world's version of justice. The world's version of justice is, well, if we're not treating each other right, then that, that probably means that, that things aren't right with, with God, whoever, whatever that might be. And let me tell you, as a follower of Jesus, life can be unfair, and it can be difficult, but God can give you the power to overcome that. Just as we were sorting through all the rubble of this fire, we still sense God's favor. And through the fire of refinement, God's favor is still there for you. It's still real. It still exists. Even whether you believe it or not. So we started this ministry, and I mentioned that I quit my job, and, and it was like, it was the most radical thing I'd ever done. My faith, honestly, hadn't really cost me a lot. I, I tried to be faithful in my relationship with Jesus and following him, but I'll tell you that the sacrifices were there for sure. But one day in 2008 into 2009, God began to tap me on the shoulder and say, I want you to do this. And it was difficult. And so I quit my job at a church. I was a youth pastor, so I was making millions of dollars. And I left something that was steady and reliable and predictable for the complete unknown. And when I did this, remember I had nothing. I worked at a big church, had a staff, had money, had lots of things at my disposal. Now I had nothing. I went back to nothing. And some friends got together and bought me a laptop. The church gave me an office chair, but I didn't have a desk. And so I was making my desk, a homemade desk. And I remember sanding that desk and staining it. And as I was doing that, the Lord just spoke to me so clearly and said, don't ask anyone to support you financially. Now, I was launching this ministry, and the idea, it's kind of a traditional thing, if you've never, never been aware of this, is that if you start a ministry, you, you ask people, and people surround you and support you, and that's great, and I believe in that. I think it's amazing to be able to have the opportunity to do that. But in this case, God was very clear. Don't ask anybody for money. Now, that was a challenge. I'd already quit my job. It was already too late. I couldn't go back. Like, I jumped out of the plane, and now I felt like there's no parachute. And so I thought, well, what in the world am I going to do? And then not long after, a friend of mine said, well, I got this creative idea for this fundraiser that maybe you could use. And so I learned more about it. And in 2010, it was one of the handful of events in the country of this brand new thing called adventure races. And adventure races still exist, but they were just like, this, just this wave hit America, and we were right at the very beginning. 
where we did these adventure races. And I want you to see uh, what this looks like here. So give you a visual. So that kind of gives you a visual of what they look like. It's a pretty, pretty cool, pretty epic thing. I decided to show you the epic video with the cool music and not the fun one, just for fun. But, but that gives you a visual. And we decided to do this, and we had no money. We had no website. Now, believe it or not, when we started this, Facebook was just brand new, so you couldn't use social media for advertising. And we tried to promote this. And we had other events in our city up against us, and so no one would come alongside, no radio, no TV. They were all in on these other events. And so we had nothing but word of mouth. And we sat together one day, our team, and we'd never done an event like this, and we were told by the, the largest 25K foot race in the United States is in Grand Rapids, where I live, and we met with their director, and she said to us, well, you need a couple things. You need money, you need time, you need 12 to 18 months to plan it, uh, you need experience, you need to know how to do this, and don't plan on making any money for the first two or three years. Well, we wanted to do it in six months. We had no experience, we had no money, and we wanted to make money. And we sat down, there were four couples, and we said, how can we do this? And I said, let's, let's pray, and let's, let's just ask God how many people we think would come to this. And we went around the room and said, humanly, our estimation was maybe three to 500 people we could get to show up to this event. So, but we prayed, and I said, just listen for a number as we pray. We did some listening prayer, and we all went around the room and shared on our piece of paper, and we all had the same number, 1,000. And that was just a blind-blowing number. So time goes on. We're planning the event. It's August of 2010. And three weeks before, one of my friends asked me, hey, how many people have signed up for the mud run? And I was like, I don't even know. I was kind of afraid to look. And so I asked my assistant, I said, how many people have signed up? And she looked on the list. She's like, 56. <laughs> I was like, shoot. We missed this one. This is going to be an epic failure. Well... A few days before the event, I was out of town, and my race director called me, and he said, hey, we got a problem with the mud run I need to talk to you about. I'm like, all right, what is it? He goes, well, now listen, hear me out, but we just crossed 1,000 registrants, and I was like, well, what's the problem? And he goes, well, I think we're going to have too many people, and we can't figure out maybe we've never done this event. It could end up being a disaster if we're not prepared for that many people. So we talked on the phone, made some adjustments. And I want to stand here before you today and say that the first year we had that event, 2,200 people came from all over the country to run this run. That's a sign of God's favor. You can't manipulate that. You can't make that happen. And here's my reminder to you is this, is that when you're being faithful, it may look bad, it may look bleak, you may not understand it, but God's favor is with you. And nothing will derail your failure quicker than sexual temptation. And I took a sharp right turn there because that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Eight o'clock. I want you to come back. This story talks about what Joseph did 
when he was faced with this dilemma of sexual temptation. And you guys, if you're going to follow Jesus in your life and let his dreams chase you, you've got to be able to navigate that issue. It's something that everyone's talking about. We're going to talk about it tonight. How do you deal with it? All right, 8 o'clock tonight. Father, thanks for this time today. I pray your blessing over each student over this week. In Jesus' name, amen. See you tonight at 8. Thanks for listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and get more information at chapel.betheluniversity.edu or check us out on the iTunes Store by searching for Bethel University Chapel.